0: Regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad that you have joined us on the program today. We are going to be talking about coast guns. That's right. Uh, More specifically, the uh, ATF rule that is forthcoming regarding unserialized firearms. ABC is sort of uh, prepping the... uh, Uh, The narrative here with a new story proposed ghost gun rule could reshape the battle against homemade guns, experts say. First of all, uh, homemade guns are not illegal, so I don't know why we would be battling them as opposed to battling violent crime. Uh, by the way, apologies uh, if you hear my rooster in the background. He has a mind of its own. And uh, yeah, Mr. Crow likes to hang out near the office sometimes. So, uh, anyway, apologies for that. Hopefully he won't be too much of a disruption today. Uh, so let's get into this uh, because there's a lot to fact check. This ABC story, of course, is biased in favor of the uh, Biden administration, in favor of uh, anything that can be used to crack down on so-called ghost guns, right? And they start uh, early on in their piece. They don't start with this, but early on in their piece, they uh, uh, quote Baltimore Police Chief Michael Harrison, who says, I could spend hours telling these stories about how these ghost guns have hurt our community and made our streets unsafe. The department in Baltimore seized nine, quote unquote, ghost guns in 2018 compared to 352 In 2021, said Harrison at a January press conference, from 2016 to 2020, there were approximately 23,906 suspected, quote unquote, ghost guns recovered by law enforcement from potential crime scenes. Suspected, potential, right? Note, note, Note all of the weasel words there. Without a serial number, ABC reports it's often impossible for law enforcement to track where individual guns came from. And then we get a quote from John Feinblatt, president of Everytown for Gun Safety. There's no question about it, that the regulation this regulation that's forthcoming from the Biden administration will shut down the marketplace going forward. A, I doubt that very much. B, let's zero in on Baltimore for a second. Because if, quote unquote, ghost guns are really driving the violence, then we would expect to see a steady increase in Baltimore homicides as the number of ghost guns that were confiscated, grew, right? So uh, apologies, uh, this is not a snazzy graphic here, but uh, this is a, a look at about a decade's worth of homicides in Baltimore, going back to 2011, right? Now, remember, Chief Harrison said, started in 2018, they seized nine ghost guns up to over 300 in 2020. Look at the homicide rates in Baltimore, Maryland. So 2011, Less than 200 homicides. That was actually one of the best years in Baltimore history. 2012, 2013, 2014, the numbers are bumping around around 200 or so homicides. Not great. I mean, again, per 100,000, we're looking at a homicide rate of about 34 to 35 homicides per 100,000 people compared to the national rate of less than five. So not great in Baltimore. And then in 2015, the numbers really start to spike. All of a sudden now, instead of 211 homicides, you got 344 homicides. What happened? Because it wasn't ghost guns. What happened were the Freddie Gary riots in Baltimore. Do you remember that? Where the mayor at the time said, we need to give people the space to riot. And since then, since 2015, there has not been a year in Baltimore with fewer than 300 homicides. 2016, 318, 2017, 343, 2018, 309, 2019, 348, 2020, 335. Now, I would note, by the way, that even though the Baltimore police recovered more, quote unquote, ghost guns in 2020, they had slightly fewer homicides than they did in 2019 when they had recovered fewer, quote unquote, ghost guns. This tells me that unserialized firearms are not the driving issue in Baltimore because crime was going up before the quote unquote ghost guns started showing up in Baltimore. And the number of homicides has actually gone down slightly, even as the number of quote unquote ghost guns recovered by Baltimore police has increased. We're dealing with, in Baltimore and in every other city across the country, a relatively small number of individuals who are committing an outsized number of violent crimes. And a lot of those guns, whether they are unserialized, whether they are stolen, whether they are acquired in a uh, straw purchase, are not legally purchased. So another gun control law aimed at legal gun owners is not going to cut off the supply of illicitly obtained firearms To criminals in Baltimore or Los Angeles or New York City or Chicago or any other city out there. Again, not that that's stopping the gun control activists, not that that's stopping the Biden administration, because ultimately it's really not about going after violent crime. It is about cracking down on legal gun owners. ABC News talked to the National Shooting Sports Foundation's General Counsel and Senior Vice President uh, Lawrence Keene. Excuse me, Larry Keane. I call him Larry. His real name is Lawrence. He said in an interview that the regulation proposed by the Biden administration is, quote, the single most significant change for manufacturers under the law since the Gun Control Act was enacted in 1968. And he uh, noted that, uh, quote, while states, excuse me, uh, he, he noted that, uh, let me get to the next quote here. Uh, he says that uh The proposed definition overreaches ATF statutory authority, says that many of the new implementations, such as the multiple or reprinted serial numbers on firearms, a manufacturing overhaul and unclear implementation details, also overstep the ATF's authority. He has said that the 90 day period from when the rule is implemented to when the firearms manufacturers have to comply is also too short for major changes to the law. Uh, And this is, again, under the proposed rule. He said the ATF indicated that the comments from the firearm industry were helpful and made them think about things that they hadn't considered or thought about. Whether or not those changes suggested by the National Shooting Sports Foundation actually make it into the final rule, I think is very much up in the air at this point. Uh, And I have to say that, again, we don't know what this final language is going to look like. We know that there were more than 300,000 public comments submitted to the ATF in response to this proposed rule, the vast majority of them in opposition to this proposed rule. But whether or not those comments actually have any sway in terms of what the final rule looks like, I think it's too early to tell. I don't think the Biden administration willingly wants to listen to what the firearms industry says. I don't think they really give a damn about what individual gun owners have to say. But I also think that the Biden administration is setting itself up for a potential court challenge because, again, as Larry King says, a lot of what the ATF's original rule talked about and a lot of what I suspect is going to be contained within the final rule that's published in the coming weeks really will be administrative overreach on the part of the ATF in terms of redefining what a firearm actually is. And then we get to the practical impact of this. So let's say the ATF tries to ban 80% lowers. Can they ban 75% lowers? Can they ban 70%, 60%, 50%? What about 0% lowers? You know, when I was out at SHOT Show a couple of months ago, we talked with Cody Wilson from Defense Distributed. They have the Ghost Gunner CNC machine, and they can take a solid block of aluminum and in the span of a few hours, turn that into a functional lower. So is that block of aluminum required to have a serial number on it? How how can you tell what the ultimate intent is of the purchaser of that block of aluminum? Maybe they're not trying to buy or build a firearm at all. Again, I don't think this is an issue that the Biden administration is going to be able to honestly regulate, because ultimately what we're talking about are individuals who don't give a damn what the law is. They don't care. They are perfectly willing to break the law, not only in terms of acquiring a gun, but in terms of the criminal misuse of a firearm. And the way to cut down on violent crime, again, is to target those individuals as opposed to trying to regulate or ban every potential tool that those criminals might use. Not that I expect the Biden administration to listen to that argument either. And uh, again, I suspect that in the months ahead, not only will we see the uh, release of this final rule, but we will also see the first round of lawsuits filed to try to stop these new regulations from taking effect. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizens story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We will start there with a story out of Beaumont, Texas, where a teenager indicted in a shooting at a Beaumont intersection has been given a plea deal and he's taken it. I don't know why he wouldn't. Freddie Nelson, Jr., charged with aggravated assault in connection with the shooting that occurred back on August 15th of last year. He pleaded guilty uh, to the charge, accepted an agreement with the Jefferson County DA's office for 10 years deferred probation. A one thousand dollar fine and the condition of, quote, intermediate sanction facility, which is an in custody treatment alternative for certain offenders to address the underlying reasons why a crime has been committed. Yeah, by the way, the uh, this is the second teen involved. The first teen involved also received probation for this shooting. Uh, Judge Raquel West found nelson guilty but the probation department will now do a pre-sentence report to give her more information about the defendant he will return to the court at a later date for sentencing she said it's very important for me to understand if you want me to follow this agreement you can't get into any trouble between now and sentencing if you're arrested for anything then when you come back you run the risk of me not accepting the plea agreement we will get you back in the trial docket and let a jury decide you run the risk of losing your plea deal if you get arrested and charged between now and your sentencing. As if the plea deal wasn't bad enough, Judge's comments adding a little insult to the lack of injury to the uh, individual found guilty of a shooting there in Beaumont, Texas. Today's Armed Citizen story from Orlando, Florida. We don't have a ton of information about this, But it certainly appears to be a case of self-defense. Here's the headline. A rideshare driver shoots a man who attacked girlfriend in car, according to Orange County deputies. Now, I will say that this rideshare driver, even if he did act in self-defense, is probably going to be looking for, well, not probably, will be looking for a new job because Uber and Lyft both require drivers to be unarmed, even in your own vehicle. If you are a contractor for Uber or Lyft, as long as you are actively Contracting or actively driving for them, you cannot possess a gun in your vehicle. It doesn't matter if you're a concealed carry holder, it doesn't matter. And if they find out, if you use that gun in self defense, you will lose your job as a result. So this driver may very well have defended his life, but he's also going to be looking for a, a new revenue stream. This uh, shooting happened just after midnight. On the uh, John Young Parkway in Orlando, Florida, the Orange County Sheriff's Office said deputies got a 911 call and determined that the rideshare driver had seen a man who was in the back seat of his car hitting his girlfriend who was in the front seat. So he's apparently like leaning over and hitting her driver pulls over and tells the guy, get out the man, according to police, then charged at the driver who then opened fire striking the man. A man taken to the hospital in serious but stable condition. Uh, no word on any injuries to the uh, girlfriend or to the rideshare driver. Again, police are investigating. Right now, though, this does appear to be an act of self-defense. We will uh, keep our eyes open for any more details and bring them to you as they become available. Uh, and this is just my reminder again. Uh, don't use Uber or Lyft unless you I uh, just absolutely have to. Don't use Uber or Lyft. Uh, and this, you know, if you feel like it, this might be a good uh, time to send them an email today and say, hey. Change your policies. People have a right to protect themselves. It's a dangerous job doing what they're doing. Stop firing people for protecting their life. Again, I don't know if it's going to have an impact, but uh, they need to hear it, quite frankly. Finally, today's good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, well, unable to do the right thing. A uh, police officer off duty uh, in Iowa, a, a reserve officer in State Center, Iowa, who uh, saved a, uh, a, a group of people inside a car that caught fire. Uh, after it hit a deer yeah having hit several deer over the past 10 years since i uh, moved to the country i know that can be a significant issue to your vehicles uh dan mccready and his uncle brian Crom were uh had picked up some equipment from another agency they were traveling back to state center when they saw a deer run across the road hit a car the driver had virtually no time to react mccready said the first one we barely missed and this one, by the time they're right there, it was on the grill of the car. So this, they saw this sort of in their rearview mirror. Uh, they had already driven by and they saw what was happening. So they turned around, pulled over, and uh, as they approached the car, they saw the bottom of the vehicle catch fire. And that's when the pair rushed to help. They were able to get everybody out of the car before the vehicle burst into flames uh, the uh, McCready and Crumb say it uh, took a while for their emotions to kind of settle down after the intense experience. But uh, Crum said, I think they were both a little bit of shock. We were just trying to comfort them, let them know they were OK in and the, and the car. Who cares about the car? Because the car wasn't going to be OK at that point. Yeah, the car is a thing. The people who were saved is the uh, important part of this story and in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Dan McCready and uh, Brian Crumb, we thank you for your very, very good deed. That is about all the time we got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam & Company. I want to thank you, as always, for joining us on the program. Uh, just an update, because I know I said that I would give you one last week. For those of you who are following along and keeping my wife, Missy, in your thoughts and prayers, we did get some not-so-great news from the oncologist on Friday. A couple of new spots have uh, popped up uh, in her lungs, so she is uh, going to be going back on her treatment here in a few weeks. Uh, it's not great news. It's not the worst news it could have been. And again, we certainly do appreciate your thoughts and your prayers. They they matter immensely to us, as does your support for Bearing Arms. So I would encourage you to become a VIP subscriber. Just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code Gun Rights and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. Not only will you be supporting the independent pro Second Amendment journalism that we do here, but uh, you'll also get some exclusive content, news stories, analysis you won't find anywhere else. It's our way of saying thank you very much for showing your support. It does matter. It does make a difference. And until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.